I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to infants, for such was your gracious will. That is Luke 10.21, and this is the Living the Word Bible Podcast. I'm Sarah Christmeyer, talking with women about the Bible and the difference it makes in our lives. Isn't it wonderful that God reveals His truth even to little ones? Infants, as it says here. You know, if you're ever afraid that you don't know enough to read the Bible to children, or if you maybe assume that they won't understand, take comfort in that. As we get launched into the new school year, I've invited Colleen Vermeulen, who is director of Michigan's Catholic Biblical School, and also a parent who reads the Bible to her children, to share some practical tips for doing that. Hang in if you think you've heard it all before, because it may not be what you think. Colleen, welcome back to the Living the Word Bible podcast. Hi, Sarah. Great to talk to you again. Colleen, you told us about your own journey on a previous episode. Can you tell us about your family? So my husband and I were married in 2011, and we now have four children who are headed into third and fifth grade, and then a three-and-a-half-year-old and a one-year-old. So four little ones. You know, when I first thought about this topic, I imagined sharing things like where to find good kids' versions of Bible stories or games to play around the kitchen table. And not that we can't do that sort of thing or do more than one thing, but your family time with Scripture is very different. Can you explain it? Yeah. So all of the wonderful storybook Bibles and comic versions of the Bible and little excerpts that give them the Bible verses that they hear each week at Mass, we have all of those scattered around our house, mostly like under, you know, dusty and kids not keeping good track of them. But they love to read those for fun. And it's such a great thing to just give them an excitement about the Bible. But about three years ago, in addition to that, we decided to start working into our once-a-day family prayer time. So quick aside, we only come together, all of us, to pray you know, corporately as a family once a day. That's just what works for our schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, we started working into that, reading from the actual Bible, you know, the real Bible with all the words, um, <laughs> and doing it continuously. We had been doing it before that point three years ago in excerpts that might have followed the liturgical year. But we made this shift about three years ago, not with any grand plan, just with, hey, we're going to read the Gospel of Mark from front to end. And three years later, we have stuck with it, and we're still doing different books of the Bible in full as kind of what grounds us in our family prayer time, which for us most of the time is in the evening sometime between dinner and bedtime. Mm -hmm. What made you decide to do that? Hmm. So to be honest, back in 2020, we live in the Diocese of Lansing, Michigan, and also right near the border of the Archdiocese of Detroit. And both of those bishops were starting um, a read-through-the-Bible type of theme with their flocks. And, you know, it was oriented for adults. It had, you know, reading plans of certain chapters you were going to read day to day. And so my husband and I knew that we couldn't keep up with that kind of pace with our kids. 
because it was just too much. They wouldn't have a chance to actually like understand it. Mm-hmm. We couldn't hold their attention that long some evenings, that's for sure. And so we decided, you know what? Let's read through a book. And we started with the Gospel of Mark. That was my choice. I chose it because I knew that the Gospel of Mark has a much higher proportion of action scenes and stories and characters with names and descriptions than the other three Gospels, which the other three are obviously wonderful, the inspired Word of God, but they have some really long teaching sermon sections that I thought might be a little bit harder to, for the kids to digest and to break up into short segments. So that's why we started with the Gospel of Mark, kind of on a whim. And as we got through the Gospel of Mark, it was December, and my oldest son at the time kept saying, hey, the Gospel of Mark does not talk about Jesus's birth. It has no infancy narratives, as we'd say as an adult. But he was like, <laughs> Jesus's birth does not get talked about. We should, We need to do that. So I said, okay, you get to pick the next book that we do as a family. And he picked the Gospel of Luke. And for anyone who's, you know, lived in a family with young children, of course, his next youngest sibling said, well, when am I going to get to pick? (laughs) So our second son got to pick the third book. And that's kind of how it became a habit. And here we are three years later. And maybe a little healthy competition entering in so that you keep doing it. Absolutely. Fortunately, it's very slow going to read the Bible with children as prayer, as a family. And so we only have to have the delightful, amusing argument slash debate about what book to do next every every couple of months. I'm impressed that they stuck with it and they seem to be enjoying and really engaging with what you're reading. Have you found that to be consistent or do they you know, get fidgety and want to stop and go back to doing something else? Well, they get fidgety for sure. And I would say in our family, when I, when I asked my son about what we should say on this podcast, one of his tips was he said, tell people not to interrupt one another. Oh. Right. And I, and I would presume that everybody in the audience is probably aware of that. And as adults, we don't have a huge problem interrupting one another when we're trying to pray. But I will say in our family, um, fidgeting, playing with things in your hands and on, your fl- on the floor, poking other people, interrupting actually is definitely a really big one. We're always working on that. So the kids are like that though, in any type of prayer. Mm-hmm. It is not any worse when reading the Bible. So they're, I mean, they're like that at meals, they're like that at dinner. So I would say it's not any more challenging to do the parenting thing and try to tamp down some of these behaviors, like interrupting when someone else is trying to read the Bible or someone else is speaking, right? Interrupting, try to tamp down these things, but to try to balance it and do it in a way that family prayer time is not a time of punishment and I'm getting in trouble. So that's the balance that we have to make for sure. And I know every other family is in the same place, having to navigate, having, um, enough focus and enough calmness that we can actually pray a little bit together, but 
not so much hardness on punishment and discipline in a negative sense, that prayer time would become something that the kids dread. It sounds as though you have made reading through the Bible on a continuous basis kind of part of your daily prayer time. What's the value of actually using real scripture reading and reading through books in this way? You know, why why not just do Mark and then stop? Why do you have to have this scripture as part of your prayer time? What's the value in it? So I think as adults, we'd be pretty quick to say that having a relationship with God in his word is essential to actually being a disciple, being rooted in the Catholic church. And maybe sometimes we hesitate to think the same thing of kids Mm. because we perceive the Bible as hard um, or complicated. But you know what? Part of that reason is because we have so much life experience and there's a lot of complexity that we're going to wonder about and things that we're going to find really hard. But children's minds, they're different developmentally. Like if we think about kids, um, any children that you know, and I'm mostly talking about school-aged kids, so like elementary school age and above, that if you think of how much they love particular book series or comic book series that they're into or videos or movie sequels, right? They have this tremendous capacity for story. And like I can think of my sons and some of their books, they want to tell me about like a hundred different characters and their name and ask me, mom, which is your favorite? Who do you like better? And I'm thinking in my head, I cannot even remember any characters from this book, (laughs) right? And you're like giving me a list of 10 people and want to know who your favorite is. And so that's how kids, you know, interact with story and information. They actually like, I think, soak it in the information more than we do as adults. And that's because, you know, as adults, we are making meaning in our minds. We're making bigger picture generalizations when it comes to the spiritual life, we're having a lot of insights about what God might be doing, how the Holy Spirit might have been working across decades of our life. So they're not operating on that plane, but that means that they can actually enter into the concrete details, maybe even more easily than we can, which might be why to my oldest son, it was so blatantly you know, obvious that there was nothing about Jesus's birth in Mark's gospel. And he wanted to read about that. Now, I'll say probably one of the great things about switching from we had been doing excerpts, so like small passages of the Bible that were printed on a piece of paper in another book Mm -hmm. that was a really similar prayer format. And we had been doing that for many years. So they were used to the idea of hearing a small passage of scripture. But I think the real benefit of getting out a clunky, big, real, adult-sized Bible is they see it. Yeah. They see the pages turning. They see how large the book is. They see that it's the Bible. Now, for us as, as adults, a lot of us, including me, we use screens sometimes for prayer because there's amazing, great digital resources. But for a child, looking at someone holding a screen or looking at someone holding a leaflet or a little magazine, they can't clearly see that this is the Bible. The way they can see it, if you're actually holding that clunky book and trying to figure out where is the gospel we're reading? Where is the chapter? There's so much learning that goes on for a school-aged child from that concreteness that you don't want to miss out on it. 
I've observed with adults who start to read the Bible for the first time, that unfamiliarity is a very big obstacle to starting to read the Bible. And if you are used to holding it and you're used to finding things and you're used to how it fits together and seeing that each little bit that you read is part of something bigger, all of that you bring in naturally when you start reading as an adult and you're looking for meaning. Exactly. It's also interesting, you know, it's so true. So many of us as adult Catholics do have a concern that I don't, you know, I don't know enough to read the Bible. I'm going to misunderstand it. Well, I will tell you, school-aged kids, they have no concern about that. They (laughs) consider themselves 100% equipped to listen to the Bible. They will probably never tell you, oh, I don't know if I know about the, enough about the church's teachings to yeah. read this passage, right? Kids aren't going to say that. They are eminently confident in their own knowledge and abilities. Well, and if you think about it, you know, children are approaching the entire world that way. Everything is new to them. So they're just soaking stuff up. And if we can get them to soak it all up, then there'll be plenty of time to learn what it means later on. Right. They don't know what they don't know. And sometimes that can be a real gift when reading the scriptures. Yeah. So I would love for you to give like your four top practical tips for reading the Bible with our children. I guess in this case, it would be as part of family prayer. And perhaps your first one would be that to read from an actual Bible. At least I would love that to be your first tip. (laughs) What What tips would you give to people who want to do this? I agree. Well, that's number one in sequence is pick up an actual full copy of the Bible or at minimum uh, a copy that's the entire New Testament, just so that they can see this is a substantial book. And a lot of elementary school age kids will think it's kind of neat or cool or novel to be handling or reading from a book that large. Mm. Now, obviously, you know, sometimes you're traveling or you're at grandparents and you didn't, you don't want to bring the Bible because the kids are going to rip the cover in the car. And in those cases, it's definitely, you know, fine to read from something else. But when you can, use a real Bible. My second tip, and this actually comes from, I asked our oldest son what advice he would give to all of us on this podcast about reading the Bible as a family. And he immediately said, don't just read the Bible straight through. And what he means by that is don't read from Genesis to Revelation. Don't read from cover to cover. Had he tried to do that? I don't know. He didn't try to do that before family prayer time. Um, I do know that now he does have like a Bible reading plan that came with one of his Bibles. It's a Bible that's oriented towards children, but it is the real Bible with Mm -hmm. all of the words. Mm -hmm. It's not a storybook one. So yeah, I don't exactly know why he said that. It wasn't something he tried, but he's 100% correct. Um, And as a parent, I would say the reason not to just read from Genesis to Revelation with your children is because it's going to take so long to ever get to the New Testament. Ah. Good point. When we think about, like, it could take 10 years of your childhood to get from Genesis to the first gospel in the New Testament. And when we think about our children, they are brand new disciples of Jesus. Hmm. And if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus, the first person you need to meet is Jesus to be his follower. And so I think if you were to try to go through the entire Old Testament before 
starting the New Testament, it would just be too much stuff Mm. before you get to introduce your kids to the person of Jesus and the difference that Jesus makes in the lives of his early followers in those first couple of decades after his earthly ministry. So I would say we want to start somewhere in the New Testament. um, And I would say start with the gospel first, because again, they need to know Jesus before anything else, if if you're going to be a, a Christian, a follower of Jesus the Christ. So don't just read the Bible straight through. I love your suggestion to start with Mark because it is shorter and quicker and probably easier to read with kids. Uh, I guess they would get the infancy narratives at Advent anyway, but Luke is a wonderful book too with a lot of good stories and a lot of good parables and reading a couple of gospels is probably good. Right. And like I shared earlier, and and this will just depend on the personalities of the kids in your family, I would say our kids are definitely very strong to state their opinions. They like stating their opinions. They like trying to advocate. And we want to give them own, some ownership, mm-hmm. you know, not ultimate ownership, but we want to make family prayer time not just about what mom and dad want to do, even though we're leading, but to try to include them so that this is their time too as members of our family even small ones, but still as members. And so that is why we let them have some say in choosing what book that we did next. Now, if one of them had suggested something that would just really not be beneficial to their stage of discipleship, we would steer away and say, maybe we'll come back to that on your next choice, which might be like a year or two later. Second Maccabees might be in high school. Right. Or like, (laughs) you know, Jude, there's even some New Testament books that just have stuff that you probably need a little bit more of a lived background in the church and as someone following Jesus before it's even going to be relevant to you. And I will say, at least thus far, they haven't suggested to pick anything that we've had to really steer them away from. So we've been doing that method. But I would say overall, you know, it's about adapting to your children. Mm-hmm. to what books they are interested in with your guidance, with your overarching guidance. And don't worry about making a long-term plan mm-hmm. because you never know how long a particular book is going to take. So as I mentioned, my oldest son picked the Gospel of Luke as our second book. The Gospel of Luke is really long. <laughs> and my husband and I We actually came to understand and appreciate the flow of Luke's gospel way more Mm. than we ever had from reading it with our children. I'd always heard about what's called the travel narrative in the second part of Luke's gospel, how Jesus goes on this really long walking road trip to Jerusalem deliberately, and it's his time of teaching in Luke's gospel. And we had to read that so slowly because there were so many deep teachings there. But by reading it slowly, I realized, wow, the inspired St. Luke is really just giving a, like a treatise on what Jesus is saying about the true costliness of discipleship. Mm-hmm. So I don't think my kids took that away, but reading it slowly made that impression on me. So I would say, 
don't you don't need to have a master plan of how you're ordering all the books in the Bible. Just maybe think of what's the next book and then let that reveal mm-hmm. what comes next for your family. So when you're when you're reading through with them, you know, you're reading it, I, I assume that you're allowing them to kind of set the pace in terms of how much you cover at a particular time and how deep the questions go. You're not trying to bring out huge theological truths that they're not ready for. But I wonder if in the process, if so you're reading a small chunk, do you before you start say, now what did we talk about last, you know, last time, so that they can place themselves in the story and remember that they're on that? trip with Jesus going down to Jerusalem? Or uh, do you just allow that little piece to stand on its own? Yes. So the number two tip was don't read the Bible straight through. Pick a particular book. Then the number three tip, you know, follows on that. And it is read that book in full. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's what's called continuous reading. So for example, if you pick the Gospel of John, don't just pick out the excerpts. Mm-hmm. Don't pick, you know, your favorite parts. Don't just pick what's in the lectionary. Just read it all the way through. Don't skip around. And while that might seem harder at first, because you might be thinking, oh man, there's so much stuff in there. I don't understand. I don't even know how it's relevant. It seems like filler. Um, I'd say it actually might be easier because as the parent, it relieves you of that decision making. And, you know, kind of once you make a decision, you can stick with it rather than having to maybe negotiate every night. What are we going to be? What are we going to be reading? So, so don't skip around. Now that flows into what you were saying about how much to read at a time. So I would say it should be a small enough portion that you and your kids can remember it enough to discuss it immediately following. Hmm. You know, you don't want to read so much. And I, I mean, I confess sometimes at mass, if I'm being distracted by my children or zoning out or whatever, um, sometimes, you know, by the time it comes to the homily, I can't remember what was in that first reading. So when we're doing family prayer time at home, we don't want to have that effect. You should be able to remember what you just heard. Now, when it comes to day to day, remembering. The idea isn't to quiz your children, because this isn't actually about mastering anything in your head. It's not about learning particular knowledge. I would say it's about the experience. It's something that you're modeling as an adult disciple, and you're just modeling how accessible the Bible can be. And you're modeling that it's an essential part of prayer. Hmm. And maybe sometimes we don't understand why on a daily basis, but something that Christians do for millennia is to go to the Word of God. And we know that Jesus was always bringing people to the Old Testament scriptures, the scriptures of his time. So when it comes to starting each night, something we do, and this is usually like when we're telling our kids to put down toys or sit down at the table. I would say the two places we often pray are the kitchen table because we do it with food, with bedtime snack or dinner sometimes because it's just a good grounding way to keep our kids who are all boys seated together at one time. So we often use the kitchen. And then the other place is the kid's bedroom if we're doing it as the last thing before bed. Um, So we will often, to kind of just settle into it, ask them, what do you remember? 
from the last time we prayed with the Bible. And that is just a great indication of, did they remember the last passage we read? And if they totally don't, like, get blank stares, and that that lead-in was important to the thing we're about to read that day, then my husband or I will reread that Hmm. and then just continue on with the new verses we're going to add today. Like if it was an essential, you know, part of giving the context or setting the scene or connecting. So that's kind of how we start into the prayer time. Now, the fourth tip, I guess this isn't really a tip because it's really what our conversation is all about. And that's making it prayer. Mm, I'm so glad you said that. You've been talking about that a lot. And some people would not connect the two. So explain that one. Yeah. And that's such an emphasis of the Living the Word Catholic Women's Bible, right? Is that the scriptures are meant to be the, the fodder, the material, the, the inspiration, the things that gives us words during prayer that we respond to, a way that God speaks to us. Mm-hmm. and. Since so many of us read lots of other books to our children and they get read books in school, librarians read books, there is definitely something to the reality that we need to make it prayer. It's Mm. not just reading another book. We're not reading for comprehension. You're not getting a quiz on it, right? Especially with school-age students, they can be, they're, they're used to that in school. And so we need to set this apart. So for us, I think just really a simple framework. And we derive this from the Liturgy of the Hours. So if you're familiar with the Liturgy of the Hours, you might recognize this as a really, really baby version. And if you're not familiar with the Liturgy of the Hours, that's fine. It'll just make a lot of common sense. (laughs) So the first thing we do after everybody gets settled down, I'll say this really starts prayer, is we need to do something to invite the Holy Spirit and to invite ourselves. Mm. So this doesn't need to be complicated. It might be your own extemporaneous prayer, like in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, Lord Jesus, help us to read your Bible. I think that can be the most basic one. Yeah. Something that we like to do is we use some of the lines that start the Liturgy of the Hours. They're like a leader says something, and then everybody responds. And I do think call and response prayers are great for school-aged children because it gives them a way to, to participate with their own voices because our kids like to talk. So they like to participate in their voice. So one is, Lord, open my lips. And then everybody responds, and my mouth will proclaim your praise. Mm. So just something really simple. Again, you can't go wrong just do something to invite God into this time. Oh, and one more that, again, might be really recognizable for your family is at Mass. What do we do before we read the Gospel? So we often sign ourselves with a tiny cross on our forehead and our mouth. So you could repeat that as the start Mm -hmm. of your family Bible reading time. May the Lord be on my mind and in my lips and in my heart. Because then it'll be something your kids hear during Mass or see those gestures. So they'll recognize it. Okay. So you've invited God. You've invited the Holy Spirit. You've invited your children to stop playing with their toys and sit down. Next part, actually read the Bible. So you've already picked your book. And my husband and I, we don't really choose in advance how long we're going to read. 
if you're like an organized type, you could do that. You could kind of set some guidelines. But we just start to read from where we left off. And I would say he or I, whoever is reading, we probably stop if we encounter something that really speaks to us mm-hmm. as an adult and that we would want to pause with in our own prayer time. That's a great reason to stop. Or you might notice that, hey, there's a whole scene and story going on here. And so maybe I want to read right to an obvious breaking point in the plot. And I would say, um, as a caveat on this, if you've got a long story, because there are a lot of really long narrative stories in the Bible, break it up into short parts. Mm. It'll just make, make discussion better. So when in doubt, keep it short. Um, you can also look at your kids to see if they're zoning off or if they're still able to listen. I will say some of our kids actually often want us to read more, but we as the adults are the ones who say, no, we're going to stop right here because we want to have some time to pray with this, to enter into this and not just speed through it. So after that reading of the scriptures, then comes the talking part. And this is actually part of the Liturgy of the Hours. In the Liturgy of the Hours, it's called the homily on the readings, which we often think of homilies as something that only happen at Mass, and it's true, we use the word there. But the word originally in Greek means a a discourse or a discussion, a conversation among people. Hmm. So that's exactly what we have after the readings. And I would encourage you, don't have a plan for what happens there. (laughs) That would be tough. Yeah, don't think I need to pick out a catechetical lesson or a moral, or anything particular to teach my children, right, at this point. It's prayer. So you really want to allow the Holy Spirit to speak through you and your children, just like you would do in your own prayer time. Now, a starting prompt question often works really well, especially if it's very, very open-ended, because you don't want to prejudice them, right? You don't want to kind of hint to them through your question that they should be taking a moral lesson from such and such passage. No, just let them respond Mm -hmm. because then it'll be relevant and interesting to them, number one. And number two, you know, as Catholics, we believe the Holy Spirit is real. We're not just joking about this. And so the Lord can truly speak through their minds and hearts, especially if we don't prejudice them in certain directions. So. A question that I think works really well with younger children, so I would say especially in like your preschool and early elementary school ages, is what did you hear? Hmm. So sort of repeat back to me. Yeah, what did you hear? So it's an opportunity for them to say what stood out to them, like you said, and it might be some details. But it's also open-ended enough that what did you hear is not always exactly what's written in the Bible. That could be that moral lesson or something, but you didn't prompt it. They heard it. Yes, it's a place to let the Holy Spirit speak. Now, I've noticed that that question doesn't work as well with our children as they get into elementary school. Hmm. It's I think it's a little bit too abstract because they're a little bit more literalist, and they might be like, well, I didn't hear anything. I didn't speak to me. So with our older kids now being in the heart of elementary school, 
some of the prompts that work really well for us are, what did you notice? Mm. I think that's like an older kid version of what did you hear? We also gradually introduce them to how God is working. You know, what did you notice is not just an intellectual question. And so we'll phrase it sometimes like, did the Holy Spirit put any questions or ideas into your mind or heart? So then they're learning the idea that the way reading the Bible is prayer is because the Lord is going to put ideas and even questions Mm -hmm. into our mind and heart. And that's part of that conversation of prayer that the scriptures welcome us into. So we really use that question a lot right now with, with our family. Another one that we sometimes work in, and this one, again, it gets a little bit more theological. So as our kids get older, we're sharing with them the, the truth of the church that God gives us gifts of grace, hmm. that we have unique gifts of grace. And so we'll use some of that language, which comes from the catechism, to say, has, the, has God given you any special gifts or words of faith or wisdom, right? Going to like the Isaiah gifts of the spirit or knowledge to share with us all. Oh, how about that? Yeah. So I would say my oldest are third and fifth grade. They're at the cusp of really responding to that. But we ask it because you're you're just saying prompts mm-hmm. and then letting them talk because it's planting that seed that, oh, you know, someday the Lord could give me something to say. That's a gift of wisdom to share with other people. Hmm. And we believe that that's true of all Christians. And so we want to plant those seeds. Now, I will say my kids are really talkative and really excited to share their opinions. I don't know. Maybe they get that from their mom who's (laughs) sharing her opinions on a podcast. But they are very talkative. So we don't have a lot of silence after those questions we more have to keep people from interrupting one another and you know let someone fully say their thing let, let everyone talk now sometimes though we do have total silence like no no kid really wants to say anything nobody wants to talk and honestly i feel really tired at night sometimes my husband feels really tired and sometimes you know like you've had a rough time getting a toddler to go to sleep nobody wanted to clean up after dinner whatever, the kids don't even have clean clothes for school tomorrow, mm-hmm. right? Like these are normal family nights. So this is not blissful. These are normal family nights. And sometimes nobody wants to say anything and I'm relieved because I might just <laughs> want to go to sleep now. And my husband's relieved because sometimes like, oh man, I don't want them to take too much time with this. We gotta get to <laughs> so silence is okay, right? Because silence is part of prayer. So That's totally fine if that happens. Mm. I would just say maybe it shouldn't happen more than 50% of the time. And what do you do if it does? Yeah, nobody wants to say anything. So I would try some different prompts. You know, you could be very direct. You could say, does anybody have something they want to share about that reading we just listened to? But the most important thing I would say is for the adults to then model. Mm Mm-hmm. And that actually, I think, is not uncommon amongst us. If the kids don't initially say anything, my husband and I will then take the mantle and share what's on our hearts. And sometimes it might be something you notice. Like, for example, we are currently in Acts um, chapter 16, 17, 
or so. And we had like two nights ago, we read the short passage. My husband was the one who was reading about Lydia and nobody responded anything. And I think he spoke first and he said, you know, I noticed that she was out, like this all happened out by the river and not in the city. Hmm. And that's kind of weird. Or I wonder why. And then that got everybody talking. So again, as adults, the most important thing that you do is model. So if you go weeks and your kids just really don't want to say anything, just make it a time for the adults to share in front of them. Because, um, you know, it's been said, Christianity is best caught, not taught. Yeah. So in the end, don't worry. So after we get done with this discussion, which sometimes is really short, Sometimes it's longer and we have to tamp it down. I will say something with our kids we have to rein in a lot is extraneous or distracting mm-hmm. comments. Funny trails. Yeah. So we very, very, very often will say if they start to say something that is more about talking about their favorite sports team, this is pretty common, we'll say, you know, stop, quick time out. Is this something that is so important? it needs to interrupt prayer time Hmm. or like, is it going to help our prayer time or is this going to distract us all? Okay. So take a moment. Should you go on with this or can we come back to family prayer time? And this stuff happens all the time. Um, An encouragement I will give. And my husband and I, we struggled really through a lot of desolation with this when Hmm. our kids were younger that both of us agreed. We did not like praying together as a family. Hmm. We didn't like it. It wasn't enjoyable. It wasn't enriching to us. It was kind of just seemed like an extra struggle. And we really didn't like it and didn't feel like we were getting what we wanted out of it. And then I think we both had this conversion. You know, maybe this is like the conversion of Mm self-sacrifice that this is not at all for me and him. It's prayer with our children and we're modeling, and it's not meant to fulfill us. Wow. Yeah, and that sounds so obvious, but it took us like six years <laughs> of parenting to realize that. And it was so important because, one, we didn't want to pray as a family because we felt like we didn't like it. We felt like we were failing. Yeah, you think it's not getting anywhere. Right. And I'm going to say that's the doubt that the evil one wants to plant in parents' heads, just that they're not doing it right. And so he and I really just had to let go of our own expectations, totally let go that we were going to enjoy this or get anything out of it necessarily. And I'm going to say God has surprised us and given us, you know, God has fed us through it, but not in the ways we might have imagined. But we just had to let go of that expectation that this was not to feed us. It didn't have to be what we liked, but we take the time to do it, even if like and I don't even know if I can capture this. It is so not peaceful. There are so many interruptions <laughs> and so many people fiddling with toys on the floor of their room and being distracted and saying, I need to go to the bathroom if we're at the dinner table. I need to go get more food. This is totally normal. But the point is to just do it because it's setting the habit. And when kids get older, they start to actually enter into it more in the way we might expect as adults. Mm -hmm. And then the final thing I'll say on that little time of homily or response to God's word or discussion 
is there's an acronym I really like for, and this is, again, I think really good for elementary school age kids, because we use, as adults, we constantly talk about God speaking to us, mm-hmm. right? We hear that in the scriptures. We hear it at mass. How does God speak to you? And that can be really literal for kids. And they might think that only means I'm going to hear like an audible voice of a person on a loudspeaker. Yeah. So the acronym FRUIT, F-R-U-I-T, if you think of those letters, F stands for feel, R for a reply, U for understanding, I for imagine, and T for think. We tell them that those are all ways of hearing God in the Bible. Mm. So if you're reading the scriptures or listening to them and you start to feel something or you start to want to respond or you start to understand something or you start to imagine something or you start to think about something, that means you're hearing God speak to you. Mm, That's beautiful. My kids uh, were full of questions. Why this? Why that? Why this? And I think that anytime we read, they're full of questions. What do you do when your kids ask questions, particularly if you don't know what the answer is? Yeah. So I'm going to give an encouragement. This might surprise everyone, but most of the questions your school-aged children will ask you, you will know the answer to. Right? I think as adults, right, we're always thinking the Bible is so hard and complicated, but this is their first time. So they're actually going to usually ask questions you know the answer to. Now, if you don't know the answer, it is totally fine because it's an opportunity to, again, model what reading the Bible in prayer is really like. And so if your kids ask you something that's factual, you know, and you don't know the answer, you say, huh, that's that's actually really interesting. I have no idea. Maybe tomorrow we can look that up. And then you could go, you know, use Wikipedia or um, a Catholic study Bible or a Catholic commentary on the scriptures to look it up. Their questions, again, are oftentimes easier than, than you might imagine. Um, now, if they ask you something that is spiritual or something more complex, like in understanding the teachings of the church, like I'll give a quick example. So as I said, we're reading Acts 16 and 17, which means we recently, a couple weeks ago, were reading Acts 15. And the phrase is in there, sexual immorality. And I didn't think of that in advance, you know, so I'm reading through, you know, sexual immorality. And I'm thinking, huh, I wonder if anyone's going to ask me what that means. Nobody did. You know, but if they did, that would be a good example of one that might be good to say, you know what, that's a really interesting one. Let's talk about that tomorrow. And so you can always put it off to talking in the future, right? Which is great because you have an ongoing relationship with your children. And this can be a gateway to lots of good conversations. And it's showing your kids, you know, this is what real Christians actually do. You know, sometimes we want to know what the church teaches on something or what a word means. And we'll look it up in the catechism. Now, sometimes... And I would say, because my kids are only in elementary school, they haven't really started to ask deep, searching spiritual questions. But as they get older, they will. And if you get asked like a deep, searching spiritual question that doesn't just really fit for an instant answer, then that is a great opportunity to say, you know, 
that is something that I am personally in my own quiet time praying about. Mm. You know, and you could even, if it was something that was really bothering them, you could say like, we could like, let's pray about that together sometime. Or, but just to say that, to show that there's some things that we all know as adults don't get resolved in a single prayer session. And so then after that discussion time, we always close this prayer time as a whole. We use sometimes some of those simple call and responses. You could end with a glory be or the Our Father, but just something to wrap it all up. And during that time, my husband and I will often try just in our own words to extemporaneously kind of collect maybe what we read or what we talked about into just a line. So for example, with that reading on Lydia from a couple of nights ago, you know, the extemporaneous prayer closing might be something like, you know, help us like Lydia to be open to people who are telling us about God. Mm. Again, you can do it. It's not rocket science. Just be yourself because your own authentic searching self as a disciple of Jesus is the absolute most important thing that you can show your kids about the Bible. Amen. So I would like to end this with praying with a a scripture very simply the way you just mentioned. Uh, Is there something that you might recommend? Yeah. So I asked my oldest son and he suggested the first letter of John, chapter three, verse one. And I loved that suggestion because chapter three, verse two is one of my favorite verses. So let's go for those together. Verses one and two. Okay, and I am going to read those, and then uh, let's let's just get in a mode of prayer, whether that means to close your eyes, or maybe you want to open up your own Bible. And um, we ask the Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit, and open our hearts and our minds to receive your word. And here we are from the start of First John. See what love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. It does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for your word and for the life and the strength that it brings. Open our ears and the ears of our children to hear that word. And open our hearts to receive and ponder what you say to us in Scripture and to live it out in our daily lives. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, the living word. Amen. And Mary, Mother of the Word, pray for us. So Colleen, thank you so much for sharing in such great detail how your family reads the Bible. I love that. And uh, for those tips, I, I want to just go through them really quickly to re, just to refresh our memories. The first one, to read from an actual Bible. Then to not read cover to cover, but focus on Jesus and find a reading order that works for your family. Maybe even give your kids... Uh, an opportunity to help you choose the order there according to their interest. Third, to read books or letters in full. And finally, to make it a prayer, a conversation with God. And I'd like to add here to always be modeling to our children what it means to have a conversation with God in prayer 
and to make that um, partly listening to him in his word. So I hope that your tips are going to help other parents who want to work this kind of reading into their family prayer time. And I understand you are putting this advice into a blog post or two. Where can people find that? The name of my blog website is practicalevangelization.wordpress.com. It should be the latest thing, and I'm probably going to break this into multiple posts because I know when I thought about this as a parent, I was like, wow, there's actually kind of a lot of stuff here. So the most recent one would be on top. Okay. And will you have a tag? Yes. There are a lot of categories and tags, so it'll be there. Well, thank you all for listening. If Colleen's tips have given you ideas, or if you'd like to share what works with your family, visit us on Instagram at Living the Word Bible and join the conversation. This week, I'll be asking how you read the Bible with your kids, what works and what doesn't. Let's help each other. You can also hear Colleen's story and learn some reasons to read St. Paul, and why he's not as hard to read as you might think, on episode 24, Why Read Paul's Letters which aired earlier this season. This is Sarah Chris Meyer with the Living the Word Bible Podcast. Thank you for listening. And a special thanks to everyone in our Instagram community, at Living the Word Bible now has more than 1,000 followers. To celebrate you, we are hosting a Bible-themed giveaway. Just in time for your fall Bible study groups, we are giving away a free copy of the Living the Word Catholic Women's Bible, a copy of the beautiful hardcover Living the Word Companion Journal, and a few other fun freebies from some of your favorite Catholic shops. For full details and restrictions, visit our Instagram page, at Living the Word Bible. And please tell your friends. The giveaway runs through September 13th. So until next week, God bless you as you read His Word.